Jared there, and welcome to another episode of the Boone Podcast. This week, we were lucky enough to get Tim Sackett. And for those of you who don't know Tim, Tim is a big-time thought leader in the recruiting space. So we talked about the changing relationship between education and the job market amongst uh, a few other different topics. Um, Tim has a lot of interesting thoughts about the current model of higher education and its relationship to the job market and business leaders. So we cover a lot of ground here, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for joining us here on the uh, the Boom Podcast. Certainly. Um, yeah. So, where where are you right now? By the way, Michigan in my office. Very nice. Um, so, I guess the best way to start would be I I think probably most people know you and probably your background, but I'd love to kind of get your you know, elevator pitch of, of who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, sure. Tim Sackett, uh, president of HRU Technical Resources. So we're a IT engineering contract con- contingent firm out of Michigan, but we kind of have people all over the country. Um, that's my day job. The night and weekend job is a combination of blogging, writing every single day for the last probably six years at uh, my own blog, the Tim Sackett Project at timsackett.com, or also Fistful of Talent, um, do that, and also speak um, all over the country at different uh, conferences and events, stuff like that. Gotcha. Very cool. How did you get started on like the content piece of it? I mean, I feel like that's, that's not a common trajectory for, you know, someone in recruiting, like how did you end up being, okay, I want to be someone who, who produces content? <laughs> um, I, I didn't set out to do that. I actually probably nine years ago read my first HR blog post um, with Chris Dunn um, at yeah. the HR Capitalist and immediately reached out to him via email and just said, hey, don't know if anybody ever reads your stuff, but I you write like I think this is pretty cool. He immediately responded. I mean, like within seconds, with an email that said "call me." At which point, I knew that nobody ever read his stuff because why would you ever respond like that? Um, he's a friend, so I tease him about that all the time. Um, so we ended up talking like right away for like an hour, and he said, "Hey, you should, do you ever you know would you ever consider writing?" And I'm like, ah, I, "I don't even know if I can write." So he said, well, just send me a couple things, you know, come up with a couple ideas and write about them. And so the first thing I sent was this like just awful like FMLA, who knows what. I mean, I just show him like my HR chops, like I actually knew what I was talking about. So I deep dove on some boring HR topic. And then the next one I did was um, literally uh, uh, the concept was I just been in an HR role working for Applebee's International on the corporate side. And I had just tons of like logo gear, like polos and jackets and hoodies and everything. And I left that job and went to work uh, and run HR at a large health system. And my wife was like, what are we going to do with all this Applebee's crap? And so I took it over to uh, Goodwill. And so the concept was, where does corporate logo wear go to die? 
Like I've never been walking down the street and somebody came to me and I'm like, Hey, that's my Applebee's jacket, you know, with Tim embroidered on it or whatever. Right. And um, so I was having fun with that. So, you know, the concept of being someday I'm going to be down in Brazil walking on a beach and some guy's going to become walking at me in my Applebee's shirt and go, <laughs> now I know, now I know where all this logo wear goes to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how, and how we over, you know, do that to our, to our employees. And so Chris was like, Hey, always write like that. Never write about the FMLA crap because right. that's boring. And so for about three years, I had the Friday slot at FOT with just kind of tongue in cheek, making fun of HR, talent acquisition, all the, all the crazy stuff that we do. And even then at the time, I had no idea that Friday was a crappy slot. No one wants to be in Friday because it dies. The weekend kills the content. Right. And I didn't know. It took me like three years to figure out I wanted to be on Monday, not Friday. And by then, I had started my own blog. And uh, and I still write for Fistful and, and do a lot of stuff with them. And Chris and I are close friends. But uh, So that's kind of how I got started. Very cool. Just by Very chance. Cool. Yeah, I mean, the amount of, uh, the amount of articles and, and just – you expressing your ideas out there on the internet was uh, pretty pretty expansive. So that was one one challenge I had. And okay, well, what um, I I got him on the podcast. What can I ask him? There's so many different <laughs> avenues we can go down here. So in the interest of not going down uh, too many tangents, I, I kind of wanted to limit to a, a specific topic for for um, this po- this podcast. So uh, an article that you posted recently uh, it was titled. It was that college degree is almost meaningless when it comes to job readiness. I think you posted mm-hmm. that in February. Um, this is something that's been coming up uh, a lot for for me in my world recently. A lot of conversations I've had. So because that business, because so that, that business degree you have isn't isn't helping you out right now. Just, just. <laughs> yeah, business. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably part of it. I'm sure. From but, uh, Cal Poly State Community <laughs> College. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's. I think education a lot of industries, but education specifically is under just a huge, a huge pivotal change right now. Right. So there's, there's a lot of different moving parts and there's a lot of different stakeholders and it's just kind of, I think a very interesting problem at the moment. Um, so I guess just like on that, that article, I mean, what, uh, what do you think is that like in your view, what do you see is actually happening right now is, is between the relationship between higher education and the job market? Well, I mean, I think we went through a, a, a big time in our in our culture where, you know, people assumed coming out of like right now. Here's my big here's my big theme on all of this is that, and I and I have two kids who are just recently started college, and I have one who's going to go through. He's going through junior high, being high school. So I've just had two kids recently graduate high school. In my mind, when I went and looked at every kid, and, and you know, as a parent, you you actually begin to know like all of your kids' friends and the whole entire process. So you, you end up meeting hundreds of kids and that kind of knowing where they're going to go in life or at least where they're going to start out in life. And I came up with a, there was only three avenues a kid from high school can go right now. The avenues are college, which seems like most of us, you know, kind of aspire to for our, for our children, the military, which is another big group that, you know, that I think a lot of us would be happy with. And the third one was prison. So you only have three avenues. So if you're not a college type of kid or you're not a military kid, you're going to be a prison kid. 
and, and, and people go, well, come on, they don't go from high school to prison. Like, no, they go to they go to some low end, you know, McDonald's job or self, you know, some service job. They end up, you know, you know, basically hating their life and then get involved with some kind of substance. Eventually, they're going to be in prison. And, and, and it never used to be that way. Even when I was in high school, I had to take classes like I never I, I mean, I had to take metal metals. I had to take automotive repair. I had to take shop class. I had to take all these kinds of things that I knew I was going to college, but yet they made me take skilled trades classes um, as well. So it was just kind of part of the curriculum. Like you just had you had to do it. You couldn't really get out of it. And I was an honor student. You know, I'm thinking nowadays my kids were honor students. They didn't even have to take gym if they didn't want to. You know, <laughs> they were like, "Oh, go go take a computer class." So like, screw gym. Like you're not going to throw a ball in your life. Who cares? Um, but we've gotten so much that way that now you can't even take any kind of automotive repair or computer repair or anything like that unless you go to an alternative high school, which means pretty much you're already on the path to prison. So they sent you away from the normal population and said, okay, now you can learn how to fix something. So that concept came out of that where I go, okay, so high school is basically our kind of college prep and that's about it or military prep. And, and then what happens is as an employer, and once I got on, onto the, the HR talent acquisition side in the corporate world, you realize that the, then the kids coming out of college today are kind of like the kids coming out of high school a decade or two decades ago. Absolutely. And so as an employer, you're going, well, wait a minute. Now I have to go through and like train you know these kids to do everything. Right. So I don't even really need them to have a degree anymore, which then – you know, that goes to the whole thing of do we need to even hire? I mean, and we see more and more where you you would think it would be the opposite because now we have all this data saying, hey, the college degree probably isn't as important to to actually get somebody to do the job you need to be done because you're going to have to train them to do most of that. But we keep going and actually now hiring kids with college degrees for jobs that we normally never did. Like you don't need a college degree. When I was at Applebee's, to be a manager at an Applebee's restaurant, you had to have a college degree. And it was a big barrier for us because you would find people who were great employees. They were a great bartender. They were a great server. They were, they were a great cook. And you said, man, this person could be a great uh, manager for us. And yet if they didn't have their degree, we said, nah, sorry, can't be one. And you're thinking, why? Because we had to train them to do everything anyways. And part of it was they're like going, well, you know, it's it, it, what happens is as employers, we just became lazy in, in actually selection in terms of, so we said, oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want 5,000 people to apply for this job. I only want 500. So I'm going to add in the skill set of you have to have a bachelor's degree. Right. And now I'm only going to have a fewer amount. So that makes my job easier. Yeah, when the a lazy risk management. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the reality is, is those 500 could be the worst candidates for that job. And the 4,500 that you said, we're not interested in you might be the best. And um, so it's a, it's a crazy thing. But um, part of this is, is there's, there's no relationship between employers and colleges, the, the universities. Colleges and universities don't think that. They think they have these great relationships. But when you talk to the actual executives and the HR people and the talent people at, at employers, they're like, yeah, these universities have no idea what the hell they're doing. Like they, they don't talk to us. They don't right. build us. And I have friends who are professors at the university level 
And the ones who are have really good self insight, they understand there's a challenge. They understand that yeah, you're right. Um, rarely do I ever teach or think about teaching um, based on what these people are actually going to be doing when they get to their to their career. Right. You know, we're just trying to give them kind of a good base of knowledge and teach them how to be learners. And our hope is they'll go out you know into the world and and be quick learners and, and you know that'll that'll help. Which in theory it does. Right. But I think employers are going, hey, I need to hire a marketing professional that can come in and do boom, 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 boom. And you just go and graduate thousands of marketing degree people every single year. And then these kids come and they have no idea what the hell about doing anything, right. you know, which is insane. And I do a lot of um, technology, HR technology um, reviews and analyst meetings and all this kind of stuff. And I'm always shocked when I talk to, I bet half of the HR tech companies or talent acquisition companies I talk to, my first connection is with a marketing person. It's usually a marketing person that's probably six to 12 months into their career coming out of school. And they're being asked to run the marketing of a multi-million dollar startup Mm -hmm. and sometimes larger. And they have no idea what they're doing. I mean, it's (laughs) shocking, shocking at how, what they don't know what they're doing. And yet, these people are just going, yeah, go ahead, you know, run with scissors. And they just, and I'm, and I'm just amazed by that entire process. And again, that's, it's kind of the core of the argument of, you know, what's wrong with college education and in the hiring of college grads. Yeah. I mean, how much, I mean, technology is a big part of it because that's something I distinctly remember from college is, is, I mean, I went to, I was lucky enough to go to a college that did a, a lot of, uh, internship. So by the time you exited, you already had a year and a half of, of experience, which was the the difference between what we learned in class and the difference between what we learned in the real world was night and day. So yeah, in the, in the real world, we have practical things. We're like, we need to know this technology. You need to know a bit of coding. You need to know a little bit, bit of this. And that was yeah. in, in business. This wasn't even a, you know, an engineering job. Um, but none of that gets, gets mirrored in the education whatsoever. So, I mean, how much of this is of this shift is is part of this an explosion of technology in, in almost all industries? Um, do you think that's a big part of it, or or what do you think? Well, it's a brilliant design which you got to go through, and very few students get that chance. Um, there's a university here in Michigan called Kettering. It was actually started as the General Motors Institute. What happened was, is I mean, literally 50 years ago or more, GM decided, hey, we don't have enough engineers. And so we're just going to start our own university. And it was General Motors Institute was the name of it. And eventually, probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, they decided, hey, we don't want to be in the university game anymore. (laughs) And so GMI became Kettering University. But the entire concept was kids are engineers from their freshman year. And sometimes even their very first semester of college, um, depending on the rotation they're on, will actually start as an internship. So you go right from high school to working in an engineering department of a real company. Mm-hmm. And then you go do your classes and you go back and forth, back and forth for five straight years. So you have half school, half internships. Mm-hmm. But what happens is those engineers come out at year five with a good two and a half years of experience, right? Um, and they're phenomenal. Like, I mean, they're, they're the most valuable engineers you can hire in the market mm-hmm. coming out you know, out of school and there it's a hundred percent graduate hires. Like they, nobody comes out of Kettering looking for a job. They have, uh, I mean, literally more offers than they can ever kind of, you know, go through. And the question is, is why doesn't every university do that? 
why i mean it's the smart you know and part of it is is so there's a huge need for engineering and so companies are willing to kind of go down this path and say yeah we're willing to pay somebody some kid 15 dollars an hour as a freshman in college to be a, an intern and he's going to be an intern with us or she's going to be an intern with us that entire time through school and i think most organizations don't value can you imagine in education or in business or in all those different things if you started doing this one what i think you would see is a ton of kids drop out of school could you imagine like a sales internship they would go, they would work three or four months, then they'd go back to school, then they'd come back for three or four months. Eventually, they're going to start going, wait a minute, I can make more money selling than just going to school. Why would I want to do exactly. this? Exactly. You know? yeah. Yeah. But even teaching, um, I have my undergrad is in education, my master's is in HR. If you were to put me as a freshman in college into a teaching environment, by probably the end of the first year, I would have said, yeah, look, I, I can teach eight-year-old kids how to read. I don't need to go to college for four more years. <laughs> you know, like this is just silly. Why Why are we doing this? Exactly, yeah. um, you know, but, uh, you know, the, I mean, there's you know, all kinds of maturity and all this other stuff that kind of goes through it. But I'm wondering, eventually there has to be this – we haven't seen it yet, right? We see it in every other industry where you see innovation just kind of transform an entire industry. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen it in higher ed, and it's one of the last industries out there that needs to really be, you know, just blown up and started over. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, one, one, I think, elephant in the room is the just the amount of money higher education pulls in right now. Um, so kind of just there, it's in their interest, right, to just have you show up to and just take classes for as long as possible. Um, and because that's pretty much how they, they make tons of money. So oh, it's, with, it's empire building at its finest. Right, exactly. So with that in mind, I mean, what kind of influence can uh, recruiters or just like the talent industry influencers in general, what kind of influence can they have to actually make some, some inroads here? Because there's, there's no debate anymore. There's this clear skills gap. We have tons of people who aren't getting matched to right jobs or don't have the skill sets for the right jobs, but there's clearly work to do, right? So like how, what types of things can we do to, to start bridging that gap? I mean, you have to get involved um, with the universities that in your area, I think is the first one. I mean, we take a look at most of our organizations. I'm a mile and a half from Michigan State University. Um, and about 60% of my team is Michigan State grads. Um, and so, you know, getting involved within the university environment, especially within those majors um, that you that you hire from for the most part is, is really por- important. One of the issues we have um, in higher ed is their, um, the inability for them to react quickly to the market and what needs to be done. When I was in healthcare, we hired from the local community college um, a number of skills, one which was phlebotomist. A phlebotomist is all they are, somebody that takes blood from you, right? So you go into a doctor's office, somebody comes in, they take blood. You know, that's a special actual two-year degree, right? So learn how to do that. And so in the health system I was in, which was a 10,000-person health system, we hired about 10 to 15 phlebotomists a year. They started, when we told them that we needed this, because at one point, 20 years ago, right? It was hard to find these people. So they started a program and they started to kick out 150 phlebotomists a year out of the program. We only needed 15. Mm -hmm. And so then you had all these kids 
who were constantly coming up to us at career fairs, they're applying for jobs. They were complaining to us as an employer about, you know, I, I was told this is a hard to find skill and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, well, yeah, two decades ago. <laughs> now we don't need, I mean, once we hire some and they stay around, like I don't need, you know, hundreds of phlebotomists running around the health system. Um, and so that's the, the one problem is, is that health uh, or public higher ed doesn't, doesn't, isn't able to pivot really, really quickly. And so that's the challenge. I think if, that's one thing employers can do by getting involved is kind of help them understand that. One of the crazy pieces right now we take a look at within talent acquisition is that you can't get a degree in recruiting or talent acquisition. You can still get a degree in HR. And yet when we take a look at what's the fastest growing part of HR is talent acquisition. In fact, it might be bigger overall as an industry right now than HR is. And yet you can't go to one university in the U S or right now around the world and get a bachelor's degree in recruiting and talent acquisition, which is, is shocking. And then when you talk to most organizations um, in a higher ed level, they're not even thinking about this as a degree program. And if they did, can you imagine how many companies would be coming and hiring those grads like right now? Right. Because it's such a weak point in every organization. Oh, talent's our number one you know, important asset. Oh my gosh, we can't hire anybody. We're struggling. I mean, it's the entire reason you guys have a technology is because recruiting sucks. Right. And yet no one's training recruiters. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's shocking. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity here. I mean, you see... I mean, so so many different problems are being solved right now because because of all these technologies coming out, you know, across the board, and just the just the amount of excessive data on everything is insane. So, so I just imagine a world where the job market we have all that data, we have predictive data on which jobs are going to be available, and just having the education system kind of mirror that and plan for that, and then be able to adjust as things change because they're going to change quicker and quicker in my opinion like it, that's it's there's no question that that uh i mean as as new technologies come out we're going to need different skill sets in a constant basis so like there, there needs to be some sort of feedback loop between the job market and the higher education system which i don't see in any infrastructure for right now um so that needs to no. be <laughs> someone needs to lay that, that groundwork i do you know i do i talk about um the future of hr and technology quite a bit and, and one of the things i foresee on the horizon that we're going to see and we, we don't see it now but there's so many of the organizations and companies that are out there that are so um people driven still right i mean it's really reliant upon just the sheer number of of employees that you have to get work done is that I'm waiting to see supply chain management leaders come into HR and actually run HR because that's really what the issue is, right? The main issue we have right now in HR is not necessarily benefits or process or payroll or any of that stuff. That's all administrative technology driven stuff that we've pretty much got locked down. What we have is this pipeline issue of we need to get enough talent into the pipeline for the fill positions we have. At the same time, we also have people leaving the organization in a number of different ways. And then we have all these bubbles of projects and works that come along. And it's it, it's a simple supply chain. It's not simple. <laughs> it's a complex supply chain issue. Right. And yet we're having people lead a supply chain issue that have no idea 
how to even run a supply chain. And so I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen and see and it will happen within the fortune 100 before it happens anywhere else. Um, because they're a little bit more open to taking people out of different functions and throwing them into leadership roles. So if you can find a great leader who happens to be a supply chain professional, sticking them into an HR role, I think would be a really cool um, experiment. And I think the company would see some really, really good benefits from it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Um, so I kind of wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, um, and we've kind of alluded to this a little bit with some of the programs you're talking about, but there's, there is, uh, I mean, out, out here in Silicon Valley, you're seeing a lot of it. Um, and I think it's going to become bigger and bigger of a thing as you see models like Coursera and Udacity and these things like code fights. So there's definitely some experiments being thrown out there as far as new ways to, to educate people on a kind of a mass uh, mass platform, uh, and also ways to kind of measure who's actually good at a skill, right? Um, so I guess w what's your opinion on those types of um, those types of platforms? Well, the one the one advantage higher ed has right now over those platforms is that um, you have this alumni base that a couple of things psychologically are happening. One, you know, and you and I both are you know college grads and went through a process where you spent all this money and all this time with a college or a university and so now you feel this kinship right you want to wear the logo you know you want to you know the, the nca is coming up i wonder if my team made the big dance like you just have this vested interest constantly in, in your in your in in the you know being an alumnus of an organization um and they they really tie you know and leverage you know higher does a really great job of leveraging that alumni to continue this empire building, you know, to continue down the same path of we just got to continue to do the same thing. Hey, I run a company, I'm an executive CEO, and I graduated from State U. And because I graduated from State U, we're going to hire more people from State U. And it's really important. Wait a minute. What's this? What's this nano degree program crap? No, 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 no. We get real degrees, right? From state U. That's what we want our people. That's where I came from, and I'm super smart. I run a company, so we need to continue. Right. So there has to be a disruption there eventually where all of a sudden you go, Yeah, hey, you know, that's great that you graduated from state U back in the 50s, but um, we now have this better way of doing something. Right. Right. But I think I think it takes some some younger leadership to come in and say, yeah, you know what? I graduated from Harvard. It was great. Love my MBA. It's super important. I value it, but I also value that my developers don't need to graduate from State U. Right. That they can go to a Udacity or they can go to a hacker, you know, camp or whatever and come out and be just as good as anybody else that comes out of a computer science program out of U of M or wherever. So, I, I mean, I think there's some of that stuff that just has to happen. And again, it takes senior leadership walking away from their, um, their tie to being an alumnus right. <laughs> and thinking right. that that's the, the, you know, the end all be all to education is that you graduated from a university program. Right. I mean, again, I, you know, I, I value my education and my time I spent at university. At the same time, I had to take a look at it because when I first came in to run recruiting organizations, I did the same thing. I said, oh, I need a recruiter, and at a bare minimum, they have to have a bachelor's degree. And I still value those individuals that come out of that program, but I've also now I've um, went out and hired um, people. I, I'm, I've had really good success with hiring like – 
second um, profession moms, right? So they came out, they may have got a degree, they may not, they had a career, and then they became a mom and had kids and they left the workforce for like five, six years. Holy crap, the women I've hired in those professions, they kill it as a recruiter. Mm-hmm. They're they're so happy to come to work and get away from screaming kids and throwing up kids <laughs> in a dirty house. And they're just like, I can come here and be a real person and have real conversations. And I think it takes people really starting to analyze and taking a look. I mean, we all talk about inclusion and diversity in our workforce and how important it is. Mm-hmm. But what we really say when we say inclusion is that we just want to hire a bunch of people just like us. As long as you're exclusively inclusive, then we're include. Then we want to be inclusive. So you know, well, wait a minute. I don't want to hire the most undervalued people in the workforce right now are are old people and and stay at home moms. Right. And yet we go, well, uh, I yeah, but you know, I you know, Jeannie's now you know thirty two, and uh, you know most of the women that work for us are twenty six. So you know, or you know, Marge is is fifty seven, and she retired once out of a career. And now we. we I don't feel real comfortable with her. And so we become exclusively inclusive constantly. And yet we go, Oh my gosh, we value diversity and inclusion so much because we have, you know, Mary who is a lesbian and we have Mark who is gay and we have Jim who's black and we have Frank who's Asian, but they're all 26 years old. Right. Do you see the problem here? (laughs) You're not really being diverse and inclusive. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, how how can you kind of remove that that bias layer? Because I, I see your I see your point. That's another risk. That's another risk management thing where where people are like, well, let's not, you know, well, why would you hire someone that's fifty seven and hasn't been in the workforce for a couple of years? I mean, that seems like a on the surface yeah. seems like a risky thing, but clearly there's there's a, an ability there to identify like, no, actually that person's perfect for this job. So I mean, how do you kind of uh, work that into a, a recruiting system? Um, again, I think part of it is just understanding and pointing those biases out and be, you know, and having some self insight and, and really just being able to open the kimono, um, with each other in the room and saying, look, here's the bias we have mm-hmm. and understanding what that is. And some of that goes back to the data and crunching that data and understanding right. like, you know, Hey gosh, you know, there's something here that feels really familiar with all of us in the room. <laughs> maybe we're all millennials or maybe we're all whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see this in, in leadership groups constantly where you go and say, Oh my gosh, guys, we're all Gen X white males, you know, right. like God, we, we all feel like we're producing really good and this is great, but maybe we should really kind of, you know, have some self insight to what this is. Um, it happens constantly. I take. I, t- I always talk to leaders too because we see it right now with this generation of millennials where they take a look and go. Every hiring managers do this constantly, where I can give them a, a group of resumes, and they always want to hire the younger people. And then you ask them why, and they'll say, "Well, you know, they're they can't really give you a reason. They just have this feeling that the younger person is going to work faster and work better." And then you go, okay, well, wait a minute. You know, you know, Bill, who he, he's married now. He has two kids, one that's one years old, one that's three years old. He also, you know, is, you know, involved in all these different things, blah, blah, blah. And then you go, and then there's, you know, Frank, who is 60. He wants to work five years. He, he's an empty nester. He's, he's willing to work a thousand hours a week because he's got no other thing pulling from him. And yet, you have this younger millennial who 
um, constantly wants to leave the office because they want flexibility. They constantly wants to do this. They constantly want. And then when you take it and you point that out to a hiring manager, they're kind of like, well, yeah, but you, you know, Frank is going to retire. You know, he says five years and you go, well, what's your average 10 year? And you're like, well, three and a half years. Right. So you don't want, you don't want someone for five years, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just that great, again, it's, it's all bias. It's age bias. It's sex bias. It's, you know, whatever. Um, but I think it's pointing that out to people and kind of getting them to understand how, you know, how crazy some of their thought process is. And, ha- you know, once that happens, you're more likely and, you know, some of the stuff is just hardwired, you know, right. we're still going to want to go out and hire, you know, young people. Right. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Well, I want to be conscious of your time here, Tim. I mean, uh, it, you're a fountain of knowledge on this, on all these topics for sure. So I'm sure we could, we could keep going for, for quite a while, but um, I guess, where can uh, people connect with you? And if you have any closing thoughts, um, please share it with us. Yeah. If you uh, just uh, put Tim Sacken into the Google machine, I'm the first three or 400 pages that will come up <laughs> with all the SEO I have. Yeah. Um, there is another Tim Sackett. He's a truck driver chaplain. Um, once in a while, he'll sneak in. Um, I'm not that guy. So um, I'm the non-truck driver chaplain Tim Sackett. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful that people will be able to uh, discern the two. Um, All right. Well, thanks very much, Tim. Really appreciate it. Cool. Later.